Sweet merciful Heavenly Father, we humbly come before thee again this day, looking for thy light and glory, Lord. We pray that thou would order our steps here below, that we may be counted worthy to stand before thy Son. We ask too, Lord, that thou would be with these brethren as they come before us, give them liberty to preach thy word, that thy name would be praised and honored and glorified, and that we, thy people, would continue to be led deeper into thy kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for all that thou hast done for us and given to us. We thank you for thy grace and mercy, for loving kindness and long suffering, for the finished works of thy Son. We ask, Lord, that thou would be with thy people who are on the beds of affliction and those who've recently lost someone, Lord. Thou knowest what they need. We thank you again, Lord, for sending thy Son to die for our sins and ask that thou would forgive us for our sins and shortcomings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good afternoon. It is still good to be with you this day. Glad to be here. Uh, we got a rambunctious little one back there with us. We apologize for that, but y'all don't know how happy that makes me for them to be here with me. So just glad Lord blessed us today with that also. Uh, thankful. Thankful, as I've said before, uh, that we're able to do this, this thing, this, this wondrous thing that the Lord's given us. And I'm sad at the same time that it's taken me this long in my life to realize that, you know. Uh, but thankful at the same time that I do even realize that. I would ask this afternoon and... Y'all don't know me well. I don't, microphones really aren't needed where I'm concerned. But I apologize for how loud it might get with this microphone. Uh, ask for your continued prayers. Uh, it's been beautiful singing. The uh, preaching to this point has lifted me up. And as the Lord always does, the things brought out are the things that's been on my mind up to this point isn't that amazing how he does that it's amazing but it's him you know and uh, and uh, I, I pray that we're we're expecting those type of things you see that's what we should be doing is expecting so I do ask for your prayers I just have to get on to brother Mike a little bit because he let me sit there and talk to him at lunch and didn't say a word until just then but uh, that's okay, too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my hope is in the Lord. 
And uh, so y'all pray that he, he'll lead and guide this afternoon as he has thus far this day and, and take us down the pathway he'd have us go. Uh, my mind has been on several different things as, as usual it seems in my mind. Uh, but pray the Lord will bring some of those thoughts together as what he'd have for us today. I, I, I'm going to go somewhere where the brother was this morning because that's where the Lord's had my mind also, just to read a, starting a few verses of scriptures there and, and pray the Lord would, would take us on to the thought he would have for us today. Uh, again, I can't be, I can't express to you what it means to be able to gather like this. I can't express to you what it is to have elders and those called such as these that have come before us today that the Lord's given to us to hear his word and the truth of his word. Uh, I don't know how you do. You're like me, I think. You, how would we get along without it? We'd be lost. We would, we would just be lost. But thanks be given unto him that he knew what he was doing from the outset. That he had a purpose and he set about that purpose. And I praise his holy name that for some strange reason my hope is that I'm part of that purpose. I want to look Go to Romans 10, just the first few verses there of that, that book where, where Lord willing, try to get this thought process kicked off this morning. And, you know, it's another one of those amazing things. Isn't it amazing? The word of the Lord that we have here that he's given to us, that has come to us by the means of those He's filled with his spirit that penned these words down for us throughout the ages. And that these words are just as meaningful today as they were the day they were written. And will continue to be that. that. And it is, isn't it amazing how someone can look at a word, the same word in the morning. And in the afternoon we can look at the same word and the Lord may take us somewhere completely different. I'm not saying he will, I'm not saying he won't. But it's amazing how we can read the same scripture over and over again and the Lord can feed us over and over again in many different ways. Many different ways. But I want to read this. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. The brother read this this morning. Priest, I loved it. I loved it because it's what's on my, my heart also. It says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. A zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, both brethren touched on this, right? And knowledge, we heard, we heard some good things on knowledge. And aren't we ever so grateful for the knowledge that he's given us of who he is and what he's done for us? And that, and the aspect 
of heaven and immortal glory and our salvation, He's done it. Because we can't do it. He did it. He finished it, as He said. And it was complete. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Now this is Israel and as a brother brought out, wish that they might be saved. Now we know that they are the children of Israel. Therefore we know they're God's. But God's salvation is complete, is it not? Not only heaven and immortal glory, but while we're here, while we're walking here, while we're living here, we have that salvation in Him when we're walking in the Spirit with Him. But not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and forgive me, i got to get the phone out and see what time it is because I have bad habits. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So this is where the Lord's had my mind on this little bit the last couple of days. And related to what's going on around us, what's been going on around us, What's continued to go on around us. You know, I hate to bring it up because we're in such a glorious setting. And this is the way it should be everywhere, by the way. The love that we feel here. This is where it should be everywhere. The way we treat one another here. It's the way we should treat one another everywhere. No matter the circumstance. You see, for I bear them record that they have a zeal, a, a fervor, and in the definition I looked up, a love fervor for God. Now that sounds like a great thing, and it is. It is. It's a very great thing. It's a powerful thing. But they have it, it says, not according to knowledge. So something was missing for them. Still is to this day, in many cases, as the word tells us, right? Still, in Israel. Now we, or maybe I shouldn't say we, maybe I should say I, as a primitive Baptist that I am, feel good in the knowledge that the Lord has given us. But when times around such as these arise, I begin to wonder. And in reading that verse, They have the zeal, but not according to knowledge. Is there a way that that we can have the knowledge 
Just a thought. Just a thought. Just a thought. I want to go to one spot. I love the spot. Over in the book of John, second chapter. Now, there's some things here, and we can say that about anything in the Word. There's some things here that would take us to some other places. Another, it's all, The more you look for connections, the more connections you're going to find. The more you look for things that are said here and there, the more you're going to find them. You're going to find that God's having to tell us time and time and time again many things. Why? I'm a hard-headed fellow, and it takes a lot of pounding for something to get in there sometimes, you know? But over here in this book, it's interesting. We're at the, we're at the, oh, I guess what many call the first miracle, right? At the wedding feast, which I don't think are coincidental things, right? We're having a recording of Jesus, the first miracle he performed, the wedding feast. Who is he? He's our bridegroom. Right? We're, we're the bride. It's, it's also I, I, says that the third day even there in the beginning. That third day that comes up. Three that comes up. So many, And we're going to get there again here in a little bit, Lord willing. If I can get these things out of my head and we don't run out of time but there at, a, at the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus were there and both Jesus was called and his disciple to the marriage we're setting the foundation of what's going on when they wanted wine the mother of Jesus said unto them and when they wanted wine the mother of Jesus saith unto him they have no wine now, I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but I'm just trying to get to the, to the fifth verse down there. But we're going to get there. It says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, that seems like just a throw-in verse and statement right there. But I think it's very important statement for us to pay attention to whatsoever he saith unto you do it and I don't not only should we do it but we should have that zeal to do it that zeal and according to knowledge the knowledge that we understand that it's our Lord and Savior, the one who came and shed his blood on the cross so that spirit would come and give us this knowledge so we would be covered in his blood, adopted into the kingdom with him. We have knowledge. That knowledge should drive us to a zeal, a fervor, a love, 
that the man represented and came and gave unto each one of us in this world. Not only did he give them then, but he gives them today to us. Continually, if we're there, if we're walking with him, if we're looking to him, if we're in the spirit with him. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Bill Knight didn't come up with the statement, just do it. That's Nike, by the way, if, if, if I didn't, if nobody understood that. I, I often go places people don't understand, so I apologize. But that was a little Nike commercial years ago, and I'm older than I once was. Now let's go over, I think, if you would, Over to Mark, and so that's why I'm in Matthew. Mark, the 12th chapter. And here Jesus is being questioned and trying to be tripped up by the Sadducees. As these are the ones that have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And, and, and of the scribes came, and, and having heard them reasoning together in the 28th verse, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This is a commandment. The first commandment, if you will, as he's being asked. The greatest commandment. And remember, what we've been told, what Mary told us. Whatever he says, just do it. Right? Okay? Again, I think sometimes we're, we're according to knowledge. We know some great things. We have such a firm foundation and we do I, I am not trying to lessen them because you can't lessen the importance of that but there's other the Lord gives us so much more so much more if we just do it and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength this is the first commandment. And we, we probably will, but we can also go over into 1 John there and see a lot of, of, of love and, in that chapter. And the second is like, namely this, 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. We can come. One of the things that drew me to the premise. I didn't grow up completely. I'll put it that way. In the Friend of Baptist Church. Uh, up until I met my wife, I didn't know the Prairie Baptist Church existed in the world. And when I met my wife, I do as young boys do and followed her a lot of places, and church was one of them. And then I learned it wasn't just because of her, it was the Lord's work, and that's what that was. You know, that's what that was. But the thing that drew me to, to the church was the love in the church. The love in the primitive Baptist church. Love thy neighbor as thyself. We have that love for one another. As we should. As we should. But I have to ask myself. The Lord has me asking myself at these times, why are we in the state that we're in? Why does the world look like it does? We, we have so much going on around us, and, and even in some churches, we have some division. Because of things going on in the world, and that's happened through history, not just now, not just now, and it'll continue to happen, but I believe there's one thing that can overcome that, and that's the love of God in us that we share with one another, and not only here in this church, but anywhere We're, we're to be good to all men, he tells us. To all men. Now, especially the brethren, the brotherhood. Especially. But to all men, he tells us. That requires me to get me out of the way to get my opinions and my thoughts and look to what the Word says, the Lord says, and what? Whatsoever he says, do it. So he just told us the two greatest commandments, love thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And the great thing about God is he not only gives us instruction on what to do, he gives us the means by which to do it, and that's the strength of Christ that dwells in each one of us. That's how we accomplish it, you see. It's still not our, on our own. So thank God we're not left on our own. We never have been. You see that? What a wonderful Lord we have.
Now over here, he tells us, in 1 John, I told you we'd get over there, to, but we're going we're gonna to skip through a little bit, but we're going to go to this part because sometimes we don't like being told, just do what I say. That's not in our nature to take it well. And then, well, why is that? Because we have a sin nature. <laughs> but, but Christ dwells in us also, does he not? Thank God he does. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot, begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. These are some tough things for me to hear. Right? Because I know how many times I'm not. But does he, does he turn away from us? I don't believe he does. I believe we turn away from him. But as soon as we turn back, he's there. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And the next part should make us leap for joy. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous. He's telling us to love one another. Love one another. And he's going to give, he gives us a way. You're, you're going to understand. He's going to let us understand. Over in the, where is it? 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, where we talk about charity. We, 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 we need to go look at that for a minute or two and see. What if we're keeping his commandment, loving one another, charity? What that does for us? It does some amazing things, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Let's go there for just a minute, and I'll get out of the way. I said 1 Corinthians. It never moves in my Bible, but I always seem to have a hard time finding them. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll start where, where that starts. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I speak with tongues of angels, tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity. Now, why is he saying that? Because in the previous chapter, he's talking about some of the gifts. And, uh, you know, when we start looking at one another's gifts, well, I might want the one you have. You might want, which one's the best? Because that's the one I'm truly after. So the brothers, he's going to clean it up for us. Because in the 31st verse of the, the previous chapter, it says, But covetous earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And we're in the excellent way in this chapter. And that's 
charity and love. So he says, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal if I have not charity. I'm making a lot of noise. I'm making a lot of noise. And I've been good at that for a long time. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. There's that knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. This charity, this love, this love feast, this act of love that we do because the Lord places love within us for no other reason, not expecting things in return for doing them, that's charity. And I pray it's because of what? The zeal of God that dwells in us. That we have that charity, you see. That we understand that God loved us so much, he sent his son. And we want to share that love with all around us because he shared it with us. Share it with the brothers, the sisters, and whoever I know. Even those Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth, profiteth me nothing. I can do all these things. I can do all these things. But if I'm not doing them out of godly love, the love he's given me, what good is it? What good is it? I'm doing them for me, more than likely for selfish reasons. Beyond that. So here we're going to start to see some of the benefits. You realize if you're, if you're walking in love and charity and doing these things, there's things you're not doing. Some good things you're not doing. That's what I'm saying. Keeping me out of the trouble that I so easily get in, you see. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. I do that plenty, so I need to be thinking how in those circumstances do I change my ways and show love and not be art and envy. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. You mean if I'm just following after what the Lord's told me to do, giving me the strength to do, it's keeping me from doing it? Yes, that's what it means. These things are not grievous. These things are joyous. They help not only me, but all those around. Watch it. We might see the glory of God within one another. Doth not behave itself unseemly.
You know, things can happen in this world and we get distracted. And all of a sudden, our character can change pretty quickly. Very quickly. We, we recently got word where I work that we're going to be shut down. They're going to close our facility. That's a pretty good distraction. It can start taking you down some roads and distract your mind. You can find yourself having thoughts you don't need to be having. If we're thinking and loving and treating those around us with love during this process, it's going to make it go a lot better and a lot easier. If we get caught up in, in the things of this world and the feelings of this world, it's going to be a miserable time. It just is. But if we can keep our eyes on God and his love, it's going to get us through. It always has. What would make us think in one of the hardest times possible, it wouldn't continue. Well, that's, that's the sin self that still exists in here, but, but the Lord's given us more. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity. So that's why when I come to church and I feel this love, I feel so good when I start hearing the truth preached. I'm in his love. I'm dwelling in his love. I have the knowledge and understanding of what's being said. The truth. Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That study of all things in the word, that's going to take you a while, isn't it? Because that all things mentioned everywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's given us a bunch of whatsoever things, you know, and on and on. Never, we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. I love this part of this. I love this part of this. When I was a child... I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I came, became a man, I put away childish things. We need to put away some childish things. We need to get to the meat of the word and the entire word, right? All of it, not just parts of it, but all of it. And the commandments are parts of the all. But for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. This charity isn't going to fade away. This love of God, when he comes again, you think that love is going to fade away? No, it's going to be something that we've never experienced to that point, to that level. You see, because... Sin, nature, is going to be out of the way. And we're going to experience the love of God like it's meant to be experienced. Straight from Him to us. Without this sin nature dwelling within us and trying to war within us and telling us, that's really not God speaking to you. That's preface this morning. It's going to be Him. And we're going to know it. We're going to rejoice in it. We like to think of the comfort of we're going to know our loved ones, our wife, or whatever. 
I just don't think we're going to be worried about those things. I think we're going to be focused on all the love, just like those that have gone before us are currently, you see, basking in his glory. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, the greatest of these is charity. It's, that's a repeat again, isn't it? That second commandment. Those commandments, the greatest. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself. These three. Three. That was the third day at the wedding feast, right? This is three here. The greatest being charity. There's the three in one, the triune Godhead. What is three? Well, if you look in the Hebrew, as I Google and do all that crazy stuff you do when you try to find stuff out. New life. In the Hebrew, it represents a new life. Harmony. Completeness. You mean, if we're dwelling in love for one another that he's given us, it brings harmony to our life? You know, Christ came and gave us a new life. But if we're not walking in the Spirit, in this love and the things that He's told us, are we walking in that new life? That's our struggle in life, isn't it? From, from the day we, we come to the realization that we're His until that trump sound, that's going to be our struggle because as a brethren told us this morning, as we all know too well, there's somebody here in this world that's working against us. Working against us. But remember, I have overcome the world. We forget those little things. But he has. Remember it, live in it, love it. Show it to others. Share it with others, let them know. We don't have to be caught up in the sadness of this world. We're not of this world, we're a peculiar people, we're called to something better, something more glorious, by someone more glorious, by the most glorious, our God on high. I thank you for your time today. I don't know if I'm, we made any sense at all, but if you got out of it, I need to love in the way God loves me. Then I think we've got to start. I thank you. I love you very much. God bless you. Come ahead, brother. thank the dear brother for stepping over at least five of my texts. Um, that's, uh, uh, I, in, in all seriousness, though, that, uh, that chapter out of Corinthians was, um, was either last Sunday or the Sunday before. They all kind of blur together. Um, but th that's such a rich text, brother, and we thank you for, for bringing that to our attention. 
Uh, along those same lines, I want to... Um, uh, what, what does the musical say? Start from the very beginning, a very good place to start. Um, so I'm going to do, do the one thing that Dad has been asking me to do for forever, uh, which is I'll, I'll ask him a question. Hey, Dad, what do you think about uh, like, uh, Romans 5 and 1? And his answer invariably is, well, let's start at the beginning, to which I say, oh, you mean like Romans 1 and 1? He says, no, when Paul was a little boy. You know, that's, these are the kind of answers that I get from dad. So uh, I, hopefully what I want to do is, is tie into what uh, he, he was speaking about, uh, hopefully starting at a very foundational sort of, sort of level. So, sorry, dad, had to, uh, I do semi-apologize. Um, so we're starting at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I'm going to read this very strange verse that's from Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 5, this is inside the Sermon on the Mount, and um, I'm just going to read this one verse, even though there's so much context to it, there's something in it that needs to be extracted, I feel like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, okay, so let's work backwards a little bit. Kingdom of heaven is a fun, sometimes tricky phrase, uh, and I give Brother Jerry Anstey full credit for this. Uh, the best definition I've heard is the one that he so very well articulated, which is the kingdom of heaven is the place where the king rules. Uh, sometimes, depending on the context, that can mean the church itself. Sometimes that can mean heaven itself. Sometimes that can mean the children of God as they are out there in the world. It all depends on context. Well, I already told you we're not talking in context here uh, because that's not the thing I'm going to extract, but we are talking about children of God. We can at least say that. Okay, so, uh, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Righteousness first and foremost, is that which has been made right, that which does right. It's not just the act of being right, it's the ability to do right. Um, it's it's st status and action all rolled into one little fun little bundle package, okay? Now it says your righteousness, and then it talks about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, we, we know who who we are. So who are the scribes and Pharisees? Well, he's talking specifically about the Pharisees, which were a class of Jew at the time, part of the ruling class of Jews. Uh, Paul, Saul himself, was raised a Pharisee. He was a very, very, very intelligent man. He was book smart in every sense of the term. He was, um, yeah, I, this is not entirely lines up with it, but he was basically a lawyer, okay? That's, that's essentially what he was. And, um, and these Pharisees in particular, you have to understand something about the Jews at the time. They'd been alone without a prophet for like 400 years, okay? It's, that's a long time for Old Testament folks to be without a prophet. That's a while, Okay? So, as, uh, here's, here's a fun story. When my first child was born, I took 
two weeks off from work. I teach high school choir. Two weeks off, I come back, and the kids are like hanging from the rafters, okay? Everything's just fallen to pieces. It takes, and, and it's just, it's the thing that happens when there's a vacuum in leadership, okay? It's, it's the same anywhere, and the same was true for the Jews. Prophet, whoosh, gone, 400 years. What do you think's going to happen? A bunch of bad ideas, okay? 400 years worth of bad ideas, except it started with one good idea, and the good idea was We've been in captivity with all of these different empires. Here we are. We're pretty beaten up. Maybe we deserved it. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad thought to have. But the next set of ideas was, well, maybe if we can just get back to what we were with David and Solomon, everything will be better. That's a bad idea. That did not turn out to be true because what was going to come was Jesus to come to fulfill the law and the prophets to give us something better. Instead of the old law, we now have the law of faith, which is what Jesus Christ has written within our hearts. They weren't ready for that. They were not prepared. They were totally fine with, their, uh, with like a Messiah figure coming as long as that Messiah was going to turn Israel back into the power that it used to be. That's not what Jesus was here for. When it says, my hope and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved, my hope and prayer for Israel is that they might see the truth that I, Jesus, brought. And that truth was to move, was to fulfill the old law and move on and be in the law of faith. Well, in 400 years, with this thought that, okay, we need to really buckle down and be zealous about our God. We need to buckle down and we need to, ha- we need to uh, stick to the old law to a jot and a tittle as best as we can. And, and I mean, we got to be hardcore about it. We got to be pedal to the metal about it. Everything about it's got to be set up perfectly. We're going to do it perfectly. We're going to follow the punishments of it perfectly. There's going to be a lot of people executed just because they didn't wake up at the right time. Okay? That's how strong their zeal was. And that's how far away they fell without the leadership of an Old Testament prophet. It's a mess. But To them, they had built essentially an an empire within whatever empire they were in at the time. By the time Jesus shows up, the Jews, uh, they they basically have jurisdiction over themselves except within the Roman Empire. It's a very strange sort of political setup. it's, It's very unique. But they did. They had power. They had political power. They had all sorts of power. And they had ceremonies. They had, uh, they, had, they had these high priests that were more or less political figures, more than they were priests. It's just this big production that they have made. And they think they're doing right. 
they think they're doing right. That's what they think they're doing. This is the history lesson. This is what's going on. I mean, if you want to, you can just go count all of the empires that the Jews were taken by. You can just count them. There's, there's, I, I, I think in the, in the time span between uh, Israel, not Israel, Egypt, and then it was like three major empires and then like eight little one transitionary things. It's a mess. It's a huge mess. And they were almost entirely always captive. It's a mess. So to clean up their mess, they said, we're going to be zealous. We're going to be right about our law. We're going to get back to our God. And that's a good idea. Except what they decided to do was not within the righteousness of God placed within them. It was of self-righteousness. And they couldn't see it. They could not see it. So, now it says, your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, how in the world do we do? They do all this stuff. They do X, Y, Z, the whole alphabet. They do three different languages worth of alphabet. Okay, they do all of it. They do all of this. How can I compete with that? Okay, well, here's the foundational stuff we're going to get into, and I want to jump to Romans chapter 3. We're going to summarize the end of Romans chapter 2, just so we can have a little bit of context going into Romans chapter 3. At the end of Romans chapter 2, it's talking about uh, circumcision of the heart, basically a way of saying that Jesus has done something to your heart. He has marked you with his love, and that has nothing to do with who you are or where you're from. Okay, it it has everything to do with God loved you. Why does God love you? Because he does. Okay, that's the whole answer. That's that's it. Why does does he love me? Uh, Why does he love his children, and why does he not love others? Because he does. All the end of the logic that we can follow through scripture ends at that place. Okay? He marked us. He loved us. He marked us. Whatever criteria it was through which he marked us, it is not known to us except that he loved us and he chose us. And that's all we know. Okay. So, what, uh, what advantage then hath the Jew? Okay, this is an important question. Well, we just said that that God loves people based on his own criteria and not on ours and not on anything we do and not anything that we are, then what's the big deal about being a Jew? What's the big deal about being in the church? What's the big deal? Okay, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The oracles, the prophets, the Old Testament. They knew. How is that not an advantage? How is it not an advantage to know about your God? I mean, it's not an eternal advantage. And thank God it's not, because we'd mess that up. And actually, we're about to find out exactly how badly we mess that up. 
But if we're talking about our lives here in this place, in this world, in this time, before we breathe out our last breath, my friends, it is the advantage. Okay, so what was the advantage of being a Jew? You were God's chosen people. That's your advantage. For what, and I, I, I think this has already been covered a little bit today, but here we go. Romans 3 and 3. For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? It's basically, does our belief or unbelief affect uh, anything about God's power and what he does? And he says, God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Well, I'm glad I'm overcome when I'm judged, because I can't do that myself. So, so where, where is this headed? Where is this headed? Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? He qualifies that by saying, I speak as a man. This is a hypothetical that he's giving. So, um, Let's say I do something bad, and my whole purpose of doing this bad thing was to give God an opportunity to do a good thing to counter it. More bad ideas. Okay? So, like, it, it's, just, it's just silly, isn't it? God taking vengeance on someone who did something bad just to elicit a response from God, that's not how, that's how we think. That's how we, that's us, that's our brains. That's not God. That's not how God thinks, that's not how he deals, because if he was, he'd be my least favorite kind of leadership, which would be reactionary. You ever had a boss like that? Those are just the best, aren't they? Okay, verse 6, sorry. God forbid... God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? So we finally get to it. How does God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie, through that hypothetical, unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Ah, now we're getting to the, uh, the crux of it. He's talking about self-righteousness is what he's talking about. Okay, so I have given God an opportunity to prove himself, which makes me righteous of my own self. I mean, it's not God declaring me righteous, it's me. Because the only way I could prove God to be righteous is if I were righteous of my own. That's it. That's what a works system does. That's it. If you have to say a prayer... If you have to say, Lord, come into my heart right now, I accept salvation. Basically what you're saying is, God, you finally have permission. I have granted it to you. Does that sound right to you? Is your God that small? Is your God that powerless? Inverse of that, are you that powerful? I know I'm not. I have plenty of proof of that. I have a lifetime of proof of that. We'll not talk about that right now. Okay? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? I wouldn't be a sinner. 
if I can, I, that's, that's basically it. I'm just, I'm saying, I'm not, I, I, if, if uh, I did something bad that gave God a chance to do something good, then I didn't really do anything bad, did I? Okay. Verse 8, and not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do good, sorry, let us do evil, that good may come, whose damnation is just. This is the stuff Paul was battling with. These are the hypothetical questions that Paul is dealing with from some of these churches that he's serving. You know, we, we get, I don't know, like I, I was ordained three, four, three and a half years ago. And I don't know, it's like the devil just knows, right? It's like you get ordained and then like two days later, all of a sudden you're dealing with some kind of question <laughs> that's like, okay, you're ordained now. Good luck. Like that, it, Paul is dealing with this kind of stuff. Okay, so here's all these hypotheticals all wrapped up into it. So what does Paul do next? The very next thing Paul does is affirm exactly who we are without the work of Christ. Exactly who we are. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Righteous meaning, is good, do good. State of being and action. There is none that are good. There is none that can do good. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's a pretty plain statement. And he's not just saying, he's not classifying it about anything. Children of God, not children of God, Jews, Gentiles. No, blanket statement. Every person that has ever lived, is living, or ever will live before Jesus Christ comes back, none of them of their own selves are righteous. None of us are. 11, there is none that understand. Okay, so by the way, he's about to get into some pretty flowery language. He's basically just driving the point home. Uh, imagine a shovel, dig, 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 okay? He's putting us as far down as we can get. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. We don't know, we don't care. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. Nothing we do is good. Nothing we do is of use. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's a grave, friends. Their mouth spews death. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps, which are snakes, by the way, is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And finally, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, without Christ within your heart, heart there is no fear of God in your eyes or in my eyes. Without the divine action and intervention within the hearts of the children of God, this is all we are. 
This is the quote-unquote righteousness we provide for ourselves, which is not. It's unrighteousness. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a very easy word. We, we spend all this time defining uh, righteousness. The opposite is just unrighteousness, and that's us. We are unrighteous. We are unchrist. We are unspirit. We are ungood. I'm, I'm just inventing words here to help deliver the point, okay? That's, but all of these things, this is what we are. Okay, so now he gets back to the law, because remember, it's legal trouble that we're dealing with with these Pharisees. Now we know that, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. He's about to define the, the consequence, the real consequence of the law to us. That's what he's about to define. What was the law? What did it do for us? I mean, it says that the, 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 the what does it say in Romans 7, uh, the, the, the law was holy and the commandment was holy, just, and good. You know, the law by itself was made by God. It's, it's perfect. We're the problem. So, that formula of this perfect law with unrighteous us, what's the consequence? What's the only consequence of that? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Justified means declared righteous. Okay, so, so there's being righteous, and then there's having the uh, name badge that says righteous. Okay, it's the declaration. It's the understanding that someone is righteous, that you are righteous. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Friends, we were sinners before the law came to us. We didn't know how bad it was until the law got here, though. All the law did for us was show us the contrast, the vast Grand Canyon gap between us and God. That's how far... We are infinitely distant from the nature of God of our own being. We are all the way down there. Line to infinity and line up from infinity is God. And that's how far away we are in terms of his nature and our nature. That's it. And so when his law was presented to us, all it did was illustrate exactly how big that gap really is. The knowledge of sin. Now, not only do we know we're bad, we know exactly how bad we are. That's what the law did for us, because that's all we could do within it. Now, do you see the problem the Pharisees are having? They're doing their best. They're giving it their best college try to stick to this law and to make sure their people are upholding this law. But what did we just learn? That the more a sinner holds to the law, the more he is proven to be a sinner. 
That's how that works. So we have an entire society of Jews that believe with all of their zeal for God, from the, I mean, for the most part, from, for altruistic reasons, for, for the purpose of serving their God, but what they're doing is actually distancing themselves from a relationship with God. That's what's actually happening. They are walking and, and following the law as best as they can. It's not just following it. They actually believed they were keeping the law. They believed that. And they believed that because they were so good at keeping this law, they were getting closer to God, when in reality, they're just walking in the opposite direction. It's all that's happening. And so here we are, stuck. This is how Paul chooses, by divine inspiration, to illustrate that every single human being that's ever existed is on the same playing field in terms of our nature. Okay? Our sin nature, it's all the same, all exactly the same. So now that we have created the baseline, because friends, our baseline is not God's love for us. Our baseline is our carnal nature, okay? The thing that we share first is our sin. Thanks be to God, it's not the only thing that the children of God share. But there's more than just the children of God in this world. And the baseline that every human being ever shares is our sin. We are all equally bad. Think of the worst person you can think of in history, now, whenever. Hitler, I don't care. We're all that bad. Just because our hands may not have done certain evil deeds does not mean our heart is any better than anyone else's. It's not. If one human is capable of it, all humans are capable of it. We are all bad. That's the bad news. And this is why, this is why you're not going to uh, hear, hear a sermon like this uh, 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 broadcast out to too many large places. <laughs> Welcome to the Primitive Baptist Church. You're bad. Let's work our way into that. How about that? Okay, um, but the truth, but that is the absolute truth. And when you understand that, when you understand that, you actually understand true, true humility. Absolute humility. When this brother was talking about charity, my friends, the foundation of charity before actually understanding God's love, the foundation of charity is understanding our sin. That's its foundation. It's understanding who we are before God gets to us. That's the foundation of charity. I am literally not better than anyone that's ever existed. Not anyone. There's no one alive, there's no one that will, has lived, is living, or ever will live that I am better than. Because I'm just as bad as they are. Okay, you want to move past the bad news? Okay, okay, Romans 3 and 21. But now, <laughs> but now the righteousness of God, these next five words, 
are the most important words you're ever going to read in your life in this context anyway. Without the law is manifested. Because that's the only way it's going to be manifested, friends. The righteousness for us, anyway, fallen sinners. How in the world are we going to have any sort of righteousness? We've already determined that we have none. We have no means of our own to get any. And any attempt to get some for ourselves just makes it worse. That's our situation. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That's how his righteousness gets to us. It's not through the law, it's through him. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So even though the law proved sin, it also proves God. It does. Jesus Christ followed the law to a jot and a tittle, and not in our, uh, not in the Pharisees' sort of fallen way of doing things where they thought they were doing it. No, Jesus did it. He did it completely. He did it entirely. He, and in doing so, fulfilled it. Even, okay, 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, don't get tripped over, that believe, friends, okay? Unto all, upon all, power in believing is power in understanding. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Paul's recap of everything that he did before verse 21. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified, what? Freely, by his grace, through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So not only do we have payment method, but we know who paid it, and we know how much it cost us, which was nothing, because we didn't have any change. We had nothing. My friends, as a matter of fact, it wasn't just that we were bankrupt. We owed a debt. Our bank statement didn't just read zero. It said overdraft. Okay? That's what it said. Justified freely. His children are justified. They are made righteous freely by Jesus Christ. And not by anything else. Not an ant. There's nothing. Not, not a single thing. There's not a single thing you can do. Not a single thing you can say. Not a single thing you can believe. That is ever going to change what Jesus Christ has done for his children. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing. Can I say that a few more times? Nothing. Whom God, okay, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That means a covering, sacrificial type. Through faith in his blood to declare whose righteousness? Our right? No, no, no. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That just means God con considered Jesus' sacrifice for everything that's already happened. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Well, obviously, it's pretty clear that 
blood applied does not happen because you believe. So what's this whole big deal about believing? 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Again, this is not us. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Friends, a law is something that you follow. It's the rules through which you follow. The old law, we were supposed to follow. The law of faith is what's written within our heart, the thing that we're supposed to follow. Every single one of God's children got the exact same bundle package put in their heart. That being the love of God, we all got the same amount and the same bit of it, which, by the way, was all of it. (laughs) Okay? We all got it. And within it, within your heart, is every last rule that you will ever need to know. Not in your mind, but through belief, through understanding, we can have a better understanding of what happened to our heart, and we can use knowledge to prove that which has been placed within. Knowledge, that, that's it. Not the, the knowledge of God, if it doesn't prove what you feel, and I'm dead serious about this, if what you believe is not proved by what you spiritually feel, I'm not talking about emotions, I'm talking about that which has been placed within, then it's not the truth. It's just not. That's the thing that kept me a primitive Baptist. Friends, I left for a year, okay? This was 15 years ago? A whole year I was not in church. Didn't want to come back, didn't really care. It was more of an apathy thing more than anything else. But when God moved in my heart, do you know why I came back to the primitive Baptists instead of any other denomination? Because this truth resonated. This one makes sense with... I'm not that smart, guys, okay? I'm really not. I, I, I'm, I, that's honestly all of the trouble I've ever gotten into in my life is because I just stopped thinking. It's, it's, a, it's a common trait in my family. Sorry, Dad. Um, we just stop thinking, okay? And, and then we, that's how, we, that's how uh, we get into all sorts of car wrecks and that kind of stuff because we just space out and live in outer space. Um, that's true. I mean, it's true. This is the trouble that I get into. This is the trouble that I get into. And I spaced out for a whole year. That's the truth. I spaced out for a whole year. I was happy-ish. I, I mean, I thought I was happy anyway. I thought I was. I really thought I was. Well, without getting into the gory details, when it hit me like a ton of bricks, and it really did, I realized I had dug myself into a hole I couldn't get out of. I, I, I couldn't get out of it. But I also realized that whatever was going on with me was not of me. Whatever was going on inside was not of me, which is important for a guy like me to understand. Because on my worst days, I do think I'm very smart. And that's when I get ideas. Ideas like the Pharisees had. Pharisees were smart people, folks. They were. They were smart people. 
They followed what they knew of their God. They followed him. And they believed they were incredibly smart. But what they were not following was the law of faith. They were not following what resonated within their hearts. And that was the hardest lesson I've ever had to learn. That I can't think my way out of everything. I can't reason my way out of everything. Do you know why? Because God invented reason and he supersedes it. However smart I think I am, all I have to do, all I have to do is remember the middle part of this chapter, exactly how much of a sinner I am. It's it. That's all I have to do. Remember exactly how much of a sinner I am. And then take a time machine and stare at my 21-year-old self. Make fun of his haircut a little bit. That is the power of the Spirit. That it can reach you anywhere it wants. In any part of your life that it feels like reaching you. And when it finally does reach you, the very first thing that it reminds you of is exactly how far you've fallen. And the very next thing it reminds you of are the mercies of God. So where is boasting then? Where is our righteousness? Where is it? Our righteousness is God's. Our righteousness is God's. I've done everything I could possibly do in my life to ruin it. And yet, I am still, still righteous, not of myself, but of my God, of he who placed it within me. Therefore, we conclude, I'm going to finish this chapter, okay? Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision, the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcision through faith. Well, Brother Daniel, what's the difference of by faith and through faith? doesn't matter. <laughs> They're both justified. Of faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. What has been established in your heart is the law of God. Every last little thing you will ever need to know has been placed in your heart, not in your mind, in your heart, within your spirit. And everything in this book shows us the way. It's like a decipher. And the Spirit shows us bits and pieces of it, little bits at a time. Reveals the truth of it, little bits at a time. And I think of all these brethren that have, that, that, that have spent all this time worshiping, studying, believing in God, that spent their whole lives like Brother Mike. I, I honestly, I believe I could, I could continue on in this ministry for the rest of my life, and, I, and I'll know maybe a third, maybe not even that much of what Brother Mike knows. But even then, one of these days, Brother Mike's going to know a few more things. 
a lot more things. Isn't that right, Brother Mike? We establish the law. Within us, the law is established, all of it. There is something within you that is a finished product. That bit of you is going to go to, think of it like this. There's something within you that is already what it's going to be in heaven. You're carrying that within you. You're carrying something worthy of eternity in you right now. It's there. Did you put it there? No, you didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't put it there. I did everything I could to get rid of it. But there it is. Thanks be unto God. I have nothing to boast in. I have everything to rejoice in. Friends, your righteousness right now exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Do you know why? Because it's not from you. It's from Jesus Christ who died for you, who saved you from your sins. He is living in heaven right now on the right hand of God on high. He is with that, that God. He is making intercession for you right now. He is there, and part of you is already ready to be there. It's already worthy of the presence of Jesus Christ. It's already perfect. It's already of his power. It's already shining as bright as it will ever shine. The only problem is the rest of us. And he's going to take care of that too. Here we are, friends. The children of God. And our, we do exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. But we must remember where it comes from. Because when we forget where it comes from, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we get into trouble. That's when we start having our own ideas. And they're always bad. And it's always because, like the brother said, it's the zeal of God. How much has our world suffered because of misplaced zeal? And it has. Christian zeal. People that believed in Jesus. But the version of, I'll just say it like this, okay? So, um, a long time, 2006-ish, back when Facebook was not, like out available to the public, it was just for like college kids. There was a Facebook group that we we would we'd like to make these Facebook groups based on our names. There was like a Daniel Montgomery Facebook group, and all of the Daniel Montgomerys on Facebook would join this group. We all had the same name, but we're not the same guy. Not even close. We just have the same name. Friends, do not be distracted by the imagery and tapestry that is used in the name of Jesus Christ. Do not be distracted by it. If it's got a high production value, be wary. It smells like self-righteousness to me. Where the righteousness of God thrives are in the lowly places. Are in the places where we abase ourselves where we throw ourselves at the feet of God and not throwing our hands up in the air, making some scene. The truth is in humility. 
Humility is an understanding that we are nothing without God. Paul has proved it. Pharisees were attractive. They were. They were incredibly attractive. They were powerful. You probably had a better physical life if you were a Pharisee. Especially at that time when Christians were being executed. But the truth is in humility. The truth is in humility. Jesus Christ is understood in humility. But regardless of that, no matter what kind of mistruths we might know or feel, he lives in your heart. And there's nothing you can do about it. Thank you for your kind attention.